So glad you're joining us today for Your Why is Your Way. We're talking about purpose. Today's message, building off of last week's message for sure. Last week was your anger. Today is your cure. So if you didn't listen to last week, you got to do that at some point because the two are just completely tied together. Today is your cure. All right, a little bit of review. So this is all about the flood. And the flood is an incredible story if viewed through the right lens. It's easy to misunderstand. But if we read the text carefully, closely, and contextually, the answer becomes really obvious. So here's the quick review, is that there is violence. Violence is the problem. Genesis chapter 6, God says, I'm destroying, I'm totally annihilating the planet because the world is filled with violence and every thought in the human heart, every inclination is evil all the time. So God says seven times that he is going to completely and utterly wipe humanity off the face of the earth. Just in case we missed it the first and second time, he says it seven times. It's so clear. Where does that leave us? God says at the beginning, before the flood ever happens, the problem is violence. And then after the flood happens, right after they disembark from the ark, God says the human heart is still filled with evil, every thought, every inclination. So in other words, it was evil. We sent this massive outpouring of violence. God says the problem is violence. So God sends unprecedented violence. And now we've got to the other side. We've wiped everybody out except for one righteous person. His name is Noah. And God says, after the flood, they get off the ark. God says, the problem is still there. So I will never do it again. Now that leaves us with a question. If wiping all the bad people, all the wrong people off the face of the earth wasn't the answer, in God's own words, what is the answer? I mean, it's just hopelessness now. Our world isn't good. It's bad. It's filled with violence and injustice and hurt and pain. And all. So what's the answer? Now we're really hopeless. We're really hopeless. Well, God gives us the answer. He says it repeatedly in Genesis chapter 9. The covenant is the cure. And just in case, just like he said, total annihilation seven different times, just in case we missed covenant being the answer, being the cure to all of this, the first time and the second time, God says in the first 17 verses of Genesis chapter 9 that the covenant is the answer eight times. So God makes it overwhelmingly obvious that the covenant is the cure, not raw power, not unprecedented violence. We've got Cain killing Abel, raw power. We got Lamech taking wives, raw power. We got Lamech taking excessive revenge, raw power. And now this unprecedented to proportions the world has never seen, ever. This unleashing of violence, and God says, yep, that did not work. What works is the covenant. Now, I want to share something before we really dig into the covenant. I have two goals for today's message. Actually, I have these same goals for every single message that I do. Number one is that you would fall in love with God's word because it is so magnificent God is giving us the answers here to humanity's problems long before anybody else even thought of these. Number one, that you would fall in love with God's word. And number two, number two, that you would fall in love with God's way, the biblical way, the biblical way to grow, to be fully inspired in your spirit, that you would feel 
on fire for God or whatever way you want to put it, that you would just feel your, like you would feel the divine breath inside of you. And the Bible puts that in a word and the word is discipleship. Now what's discipleship? It's community study. That's what discipleship is in the Bible. It's when you get together with a group of people and you study the Bible. It's when you get together with a group of people and then you discuss what you have studied. It really is rooted in curiosity and a thirst for the knowledge of God's word. Jesus asked more than 300 questions in the scriptures. Why? Because he wants us to be curious. The American church is constantly plagued with something, and that is being spiritually stuck. We know it. So many reports and studies on that. We're stuck, stuck, stuck. It is a constant problem of the Christian church. How do you get out of that? Curiosity gets, discipleship gets you out of that. Asking questions, curiosity and questions are tied together. Communion, this incredible sacred moment of communion begins with a question. Why is this night different from any other night? And yet, far too often in the Christian church, we're opposed to questions. We're opposed, it's like, what about this? What about that? We feel like when somebody begins to ask those questions that it's wrong, that you shouldn't ask those questions. The Bible invites us to ask questions of the Bible and to discuss it and to see it from different angles and viewpoints. And that's what we're trying to do here because it's tied to spiritual growth. Everybody, I want to share with you something. Almost 100% of church growth in America is tied to church-going people changing churches, to church-growing people changing churches. The number one way that we try to solve our spiritual stuckness when we feel stuck is to leave, is to walk away. And the Bible says to solve it is to be curious and to dig in, to dig into the meat of God's word within community with a healthy dose of curiosity. That is why I say, I want you to fall in love with God's word because it's magnificent. And I want you to fall in love with the biblical way, it's called discipleship, of putting on fire your very spirit, feeling the very breath of almighty God fill your lungs. All right, here we go. Let's talk about this today. Genesis chapter nine is the covenant. Just think about this for a second, everybody. We are first introduced to the covenant in the story of Noah. In Genesis chapter nine, what we are presented with, all civil societies are based on the truth that we are about ready to read. Just ponder that for a moment. I don't know where you are what your beliefs are about the Bible. Maybe it's good, maybe it's not good. Maybe it's somewhere in between what you think about God. I don't know where you stand, but that is just flat out amazing that every single civil society bases its understanding of civility and justice on the verses that we're about ready to read. And they introduce to us for the first time in the history of the world, these ideals that are going to be presented to us that I will read here in just a moment. Genesis chapter 9, verses 5 and 6. I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Whoever sheds human blood by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God, God has made mankind. What is that saying? God is holding us accountable. God is not saying, okay, justice needs to be done. And so God's gonna do it. God is saying by human hands that we human beings, 
must uphold God's justice in the world. And his justice is based on the image of God in all people. Now, this is the first time that actually the hearers of the Bible are hearing this. The readers of the Bible, long, long after, long after, are reading this. So we've known it's in Genesis chapter 1, but the hearers of the Bible don't. So now God speaks to Noah. And he says, you're made in God's image, and so is everybody else. And the basis for justice and the basis for a civil society is on the very image of God. And who's going to do the justice? You're going to do the justice. We have to stand up for justice. Now, what does that mean? This means this. Maybe because we're made in the image of God. Maybe we are most like God. Maybe we most reflect God when we are actually enforcing the justice of God. The American legal system and the American constitution was profoundly shaped by the Bible. Now, have on your resources there at the bottom of the outline a whole bunch of resources that are there. Harvard professor Eric Nelson, read his book, and read about how the American justice system and how the American Constitution, how our way of life was shaped by the Bible. It is fascinating. Some people might say, when you look at our legal system or when you look at our Constitution, it's wrong, it's bad, we need to get rid of it. Dr. King and Frederick Douglass had a very different view of that. They said, we don't need to get rid of it, we need to live up to it. We need to live up to it. The same thing with the Bible. Some people say, the Bible's wrong, the Bible's dangerous. Maybe we just need to live up to the truths of the Bible. Maybe that's the answer. Because civil societies are based on the truth of Genesis chapter 9. We never knew this before until God told us in Genesis chapter 9. So you think about International Justice Mission. We partner with International Justice Mission. They do a phenomenal work all around the world. Uh, They set people free from who are in bondage uh, because of work. They're working in labor, uh, places of labor where they're being mistreated, uh, sex trafficking. And so they do a phenomenal work around the world. Do you know how they started? They started when the gentleman who began IJM was in a country in Africa and saw genocide in the aftermath of a terrible genocide take place. And what he realized is, is that laws were on the books already that would have prevented the genocide, but nobody was enforcing it. That's where I come all the way back to God says, but by human hands, you and I, we reflect God. We are maybe more God-like than ever before when we are actually standing up and speaking out against injustice because all people are created equally in the image of God. Verse number seven, as for you, be fruitful and increase in number, multiply on the earth and increase upon it. You got to ask yourself, why? Why did God say that here? I mean, he just told us about this covenant. He just told us about what all civil society is based on. And now he's talking about being fruitful and multiplied, which makes us think about two people entering into a sexual union and having more kids. Why is that said here? Well, Genesis chapter one says, be fruitful and multiply. Right here, it says, be fruitful and multiply. And Jesus Christ says the exact same thing in Matthew 28, the great commission, go and fill the earth. What is really being said here is take the message, the message of God's justice, the message that all people are created equal in the eyes of God. 
take that message and spread it everywhere because that will lead to justice. That will lead to peace and that will lead to harmony. That is God's way. That is God's cure. The covenant, everybody, is the cure and we should take that message everywhere. Let's keep reading. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. And with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth, I will establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant. I am making between me and you and every living creature with you a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creature, creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on the earth. God is saying eight times there in those few verses, the covenant, the covenant, the covenant, the covenant, the covenant, the covenant is the cure. It is the cure. Man's way is total destruction. God is making that so clear. Man's way is raw power, Cain killing Abel, Lamech taking wives, Lamech taking excessive force and power. God's way is not man's way. Man's way, total destruction. God's way, total commitment, because that, everybody, is what the covenant is. Leon Cass says this, about a covenant. And this is not just cast. You can read this everywhere. This is so mainstream. There's so much material. You can read quotes by great and famous preachers, teachers, and scholars, and they're going to say basically the same thing. But here is Leon Cass's thoughts about the covenant, covenant from Genesis chapter 9. God's promise is unilateral, one-sided, and unconditional. It does not require human agreement, it does not ask for anything of either man or the animals. It does not even depend on man's obedience to the newly given law. This covenant is unqualified commitment and a respect for human life. All civil societies, all societies of justice are based on what we just read. It has to be an unqualified commitment to the equality of all human life. That's why we say we hold these truths to be self-evident that all are created equal. That is coming, right? And we haven't lived up to that. We haven't always lived up to America, but we need to live. That's why Dr. King says we need to live up to our ideals. The Bible is saying we need to live up to the ideals of the covenant and all civil societies, all just societies. This is the very basis that all human life is equal, dignified, respected, because we're all in the image of God. The covenant is the cure. It is God's clear cure. Now, what does the word covenant mean? It means to bind. And when I say bind, I mean, like, think about God just wrapping his arms around you. Safety, not to strangle you, but to love you and say, you're mine and I will never, ever let you go. God binds himself to all people, whether they're right or wrong or indifferent. Doesn't matter. 
It's unqualified. It's not based on human obedience. It's unqualified. Right, wrong, or indifferent, God binds himself. Let me illustrate it this way. Uh, went to Hawaii a number of years ago with my family. Love, 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 love Hawaii. Love Hawaii. I- I've said it a million times. If I would have went there when I was in high school, I would not be sitting here right now in Virginia. But that's a whole nother story. I love to surf. Love to surf. And it's so beautiful out there. So we're there with the family. We did some hiking. And one day we, we got a tour guide to take us around to like, you know, some of the spots there. We were in Oahu, some of the spots in Oahu. And he took us to this place. It was a cave right there on the shoreline. And, and the ocean waters, they would kind of, the waves would come into the cave. And you would back up all the way up into the rocks. And there was a place you could actually jump down into the water, which we didn't do because that looked a little bit too scary for us. But there was a place where you could climb down. And we got down into this cave and the ocean waves would come in and then there'd be, they would dull, it would dull down for a little bit and then they would come back in again. Well, when everything was calm, it seemed really like a great place to be. The guy that was our tour guide taking all kinds of pictures. Oh, that's so cool. And then here comes the waves. Oh my gosh. They come rocking in at us. Wham. <laughs> Whoosh. Here comes the waves. And it's, I'm like, what is this guy doing? Bring us down there. We're down in this cave. Everything's rock. There's rocks below. There's, there jagged rocks. There's rocks. I mean, everywhere you look is very, very hard surfaces. And we're just being tossed all over the place. And I freaked out. So I just grabbed my whole family and I just wrapping them up as best I can to protect them because I don't want them to hit their head, their arms, their legs get scratched, cut. I mean, we had already been to the hospital on our first day in Oahu. My son and daughter were surfing together on the same board. My son jumped off at the end of the wave. His foot went straight into a piece of coral, sliced it open. 15 minutes into our time at the beach, we're headed straight to the emergency room. I didn't want to go back there. I'm like, why did this guy do it to us? And my whole family, they're like unaware. They're all laughing. Like this is the funniest thing in the world. Except for me, I see all the danger. I see that this could be a catastrophe. We could bust our heads open and bleed and head straight back to the ER. And so my arms are wrapped around them and I won't let them go, even though they showed no concern, even though they were laughing, even though that that made me mad that they were laughing, I would not let them go. I'm an imperfect father. I'm an impatient father, but I never once thought about letting them go because I wanted to protect them in what I perceived to be a dangerous situation, even though they didn't. God is perfect. God, your heavenly father is perfect. Right, wrong, or indifferent. Even when you're in dangerous situations and you don't know it or you don't care. Even when you're laughing in the midst of a problem. God is never going to let you go. That's what a covenant is. God binds himself. God is eternally and equally binding himself to all humanity and saying here, I will not let you go. That's what the covenant is. That's what presented us is presented to us here. Now, I have three things to wrap up with that we learned so clearly from this covenant. Number one is there is hope. There's hope. They needed to have a future. Did you notice how it said in the verses I just read that God says, hey, there's the sign. It's the rainbow. Never going to do this again. Can't you imagine every time they saw a rain cloud that they might have freaked out a little bit? Oh, my gosh, here it comes in. God's like, nope, never going to do it again. Because God gives us hope. You have to have hope to move on to a future. Romans 15 says, everything written in the scriptures was written to give us hope. So if I don't feel that hope, then I am not really understanding or immersing myself in the scriptures. Because the scriptures are written to give us hope. And God says, you're going to need hope. Because if you don't have hope, you're going to live for the moment. 
we do something um, at Grace called Financial Peace University. Something about Financial Peace University, it tells you very, very clearly is you need to save today and not spend everything you had. You need to save for the future. That's just smart. The same thing here. If you have nothing to live for for the future, if you don't think there is tomorrow and next year and next week, you're just going to live for the moment. And living for the moment is a financial disaster and it is a spiritual disaster and it is a very natural disaster to our lives. So God gives them hope. He gives them hope. Here's the second thing. We learn a lot about God. We learn a whole lot about God. Now, last week we said this. God does not tell Noah to make a sacrifice. And God puts in there a little bit of a rebuke clearly towards the sacrifice that he made. But in all that being said, Noah is reaching out to God. Noah is trying to connect with God. And in his sacrifice, as that smoke goes up to God, it's as if a question is going up to God. God, will you connect with me? God, what are you like? Are you like me? Do you like meat? And what does the meat represent? Raw power. I have overpowered these animals and I have taken their life. God, are you like me? Raw power? Is that who you are? Is that the way you function? Is that, is, is that the answer to the problem of the world? He's asking God, God, what are you like? And God answers him back in the covenant. I'm not about total destruction. I'm about total commitment so that you have total assurance of a future and a hope and a love that I will never let you go. Does God want sacrifice or does God want us to be like God in upholding and enforcing his goodness and his justice in all the world? Now, there's a bunch of verses about that, but I'd like to read you Micah chapter six. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O oh man, what is good And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Not sacrifice, justice. We'll get to sacrifice soon and God will instruct us about sacrifice. But what is most important here is that we reflect God in doing of justice. It's so clear here. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness? and to walk humbly with your God. Is God a destroyer or a restorer? Is God into total destruction or is he into total commitment? That's what the covenant is about, a total commitment, that he will restore all things. As Revelation 21.5 says, says, God is making all things new. He's not making all new things. He's making all things new. He's not, he's not the God that destroys and annihilates everything. He's the God through total commitment, through the covenant, through an unbreakable promise that's eternal, that's cosmic. God is saying, I love you and I will hold you. Right, wrong, or indifferent, I will hold you. And I want you to be touched by my love and know that you are secure. That's what God 
is saying to us. Violence and raw power is the way of man. It is not the way of God. Revenge and murder is the way of humanity, and it is not the way of God. How does Jesus Christ treat his enemies? Total annihilation? Total destruction? Because he wiped them off the face of the earth. Jesus Christ clearly says he embodies the covenant. Pray for your enemies. Love your enemies. Bless your enemies. Forgive your enemies. It's pictured so clearly in so many of the parables that Jesus told. The parable of the Good Samaritan. The parable of the prodigal son. The Good Samaritan. An enemy of the Jewish man who's been hurt. What should the Good Samaritan do? He's he's my enemy. What happens in our world? What's natural humanity? We applaud and we clap and we get happy when our, when our enemies are hurt. I'm like, oh, thank goodness that you deserve that. You deserve that. That's, na- that's natural. That's my natural way. But Jesus says, no, no, no. The way is to love them and to get down and help them and to pay for them to recover, to pay for their, for their hospital stay, so to speak. And the Good Samaritan says, if more is needed, I'll come back and I'll take care of it. Loving your enemies. The prodigal son, what a picture. The prodigal son, as I was told growing up, is living in the devil's pig pen. He goes out on his own way. He is so disrespectful to his father who represents God. And he goes and he spends everything. And does God destroy him? Does God annihilate him when he comes back with all that filth on him? No, in a picture of the covenant, God goes and wraps his arms around all that filth from that rebellious son. He says, I love you. I love you. I love you. What a picture of the covenant. Finally, what does this tell us about you? So it tells us the covenant tells us a lot about hope, tells us a lot about God, and it tells us a lot about who we are, who you are, and who I am. What should you do? Well, we see Jesus Christ on the cross, hanging there in all of his pain. And you know, when you're in pain, like if my cut my finger, I'm all about my finger in that moment, right? It, it causes me to be absorbed in myself. And Jesus is hanging there in all of his pain. And he rejects that human need to be absorbed in all of himself. And instead turns it towards his enemies and prays God, forgive them. They do not know what they do. I actually think that Paul sums it up really well in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. These are powerful verses. And I'd like to end with this. For the love of Christ controls us. It's not the annihilation of God. It's not the punishment of God. It's not the judgment of God that controls us. It is for the love of Christ controls us. That's covenant. That's covenant language. Because we have concluded this, that the one, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. I've got to die to the way of Cain. I've got to die to that human tendency of Lamech. I've got to die to raw power and violence and wiping people out. And instead, I've got to live for the covenant. I've got to live for the covenant of Jesus Christ because that is the cure. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us what, everybody? The ministry of reconciliation. You have a ministry, if you're a follower of Christ, you have a ministry of the re- of reconciliation, not a ministry of annihilation, a ministry of reconciliation because the covenant is the cure. That is, 
in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. We have a message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. This is a city, Washington, D.C., of embassies. We have ambassadors everywhere. You know what an embassy is? It's like a piece of that country in a foreign country. We're an ambassador. We're here in the world where things are functioning not as God wants them to function. But who are we? We are bringing a piece of heaven, God's way. The covenant is the cure here on earth to spread his love, to spread his reconciliation, not his annihilation. Well, volunteer sign up. What does this have to do with volunteer sign up, John? That's so odd that you bring this up at this moment because here's why I bring it up. What is the reason that people go to church? Whether it's your very first time ever going or you've been a million times, the number one reason is I want to experience God. I want to encounter God. I want to have this life transforming, this infused with the very spirit. I want to have that. That's why I go. But how do you get it? We think that maybe naturally in our own human minds that we're going to get it by like going out and wrapping our and just, ah, I'm going to, I'm going to get it. I got to get this thing. I got to experience God. It's kind of like the way of sacrifice, raw power, but we actually don't encounter God that way. We encounter God by helping other people to encounter God. I mentioned last week, Simon Sinek, the Y guy, all of his research. He backs it up by talking about AA and how AA helps somebody to continue their sobriety by helping somebody else. And then he says this, service is the thing. That's the message of the covenant is you help other people. You're an ambassador for Jesus Christ. You're serving people whether you like them or don't like them, whether you know them or you don't know them. You're ser- you're helping other people to have an encounter with God. And that's the way you encounter God. In my natural thinking, I want to go out and just say, God, I want to encounter you. And God says, that's not how you encounter me. You encounter me by helping somebody else, by setting the table for somebody else to have an experience with God. And then through the service, through the service for God, through God, in the image of God, by the way of God, through the covenant of God, we then experience God's presence. This is why we do volunteer signups. Not so we can have more volunteers, but ultimately through service, because that's the covenant way. Through service, that's the gospel way we experience the present God. Now, I want to say this about this story of Noah. Because the way I grew up with my interpretation of Noah is Noah was something happened a long time ago and something that I hoped would never, ever, ever happen again. Long time ago. It was, it was distant from me, right? It was this terrible thing to happen, but so distant from me. The way I understand it now after reading it closely, carefully, and contextually is it's something that is with me relevant and powerful and, I will say, life-transforming to me every single day. Do I see other people in the image of God? The story of Noah is, Noah, you are in God's image and so is everybody else. Do I see other people in the image of God? The people I like and the people I don't like. Do I pray for them? the people I like and don't like? Do I pray for my enemies? Do I forgive my enemies? Do I bless my enemies? Do I do that? Do I choose the way of Jesus Christ to choose the covenant way, which is the cure 
Everybody, just imagine with me, what if the whole world chose the way of Christ? What if the whole world chose the way of the covenant, that the covenant was the cure, not annihilation was the cure? And we viewed everybody in God's image. Wouldn't the world be far better? Would God not then come down with his kingdom and create harmony and peace through this partnership with us because I am following the instruction of God and saying the covenant is the cure? I just want to encourage you to do that, to wake up every day and see the world through the eyes of God and see the image of God in other people, whether you like them or you don't. When I'd like to end with a prayer of peace, it was written by St. Francis, and I think it is such a wonderful prayer. I would like to conclude by praying this prayer of peace, and I would encourage you, would you consider taking this prayer and making it a prayer that you pray all of this week? Let us pray. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen.